In this week's episode, Etsy responds to the payment reserve controversy. They and Amazon both released their second quarter business results, and I have the best week I've had in a very long time. What is up, Galaxians? Welcome to episode number 212 of the Galaxy CD's Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. My name is Ryan, and I am a full-time reseller, part-time YouTuber, and podcaster working out of my home here in the greater Cincinnati area, and this channel is all about the flip life. We've got a little bit of reselling news this week, not a whole ton of stuff going on. Uh, some updates from Etsy and Amazon predominantly in the news this week, and then I will recap what has been really a killer week here at the Galaxy. So let's get right to the reselling news. News updates. So last week we reported uh, on this show that Etsy was facing a lot of criticism, uh, kind of worldwide, but particularly it had come to a head in the UK with an expose by the BBC about the payment reserves and how they were crushing sellers and their ability to conduct business. On Tuesday, Etsy responded on their community boards. This is not... It's not a completely done set in stone thing yet, uh, but they did address the situation and are making an effort at least to update not only sellers, but the policies. So uh, hello, everyone. My name is I believe it's pronounced Sherag uh, and I lead payments at Etsy. They wrote on the message board. Uh, My team works to make sure transactions on our marketplace are made securely at Etsy. Our role is to nurture a vibrant marketplace, which means we have to balance keeping our marketplace safe, having our customers backs if something goes wrong, and helping sellers run and grow their businesses. We know you depend on us to not only bring you sales, but also to ensure you get paid in a timely manner. That's why we typically make funds available for deposit as soon as you make a sale and you don't have to wait until a buyer receives the item like you might on other marketplaces. We do this He adds, with trust that you will follow through with your orders. And the great news is that most of the time, everything goes as planned. However, this generous model also creates some risk for everyone, Etsy, our buyers, and our sellers. When something unexpected happens, it can hurt everyone in our ecosystem. So we use payment reserves on a very limited basis to keep our marketplace safe. They don't define what very limited is. As with anything on the internet, the people who are impacted, particularly in a negative way, are the ones that are the most visible. So it looks like it's a huge problem. I can't really tell how big of a problem it actually is. Obviously, it was large enough to draw the attention of the BBC, which then gathered traction on other news sites around the world. Uh, There were some here in the States as well that kind of piled on. So Etsy was in a position where they almost were forced to address this by all the negative press. We introduced payment account reserves in 2021, he goes on to say, and to date it's been successful in helping us deter fraudulent activity and ensure reliable shopping experiences. However, as we've expanded and iterated on the program to further protect our marketplace, we recognize it may have led to disruptions in how some sellers manage their day-to-day operations. Today, we are sharing a few changes that we hope will address these pain points while enabling us to deliver on our commitments to keep our marketplace safe. And these include making reserves 
more dynamic. For the vast majority of sellers, we are substantially decreasing the percentage of funds we currently hold in reserve. They had said initially that the the reserve amount was typically 75%. They do not specify in this posting what the new amount is going to be, just that it's going to be substantially less. They're also pledging to improve communications to sellers who are newly placed in reserves to help them understand our logic and, importantly, how to get their funds released earlier. They're also making adjustments for issues that are beyond seller's control. We are aware that there are limited options for low-cost tracked shipping services in the UK and other markets. We will be adjusting our criteria and making accommodations so that sellers can still have their funds released quickly. Here's where it gets a little less clear. I guess our team is working hard to implement these updates in the coming days, and we will notify sellers if there has been any change to the status of their reserves. We hope that these updates make it easier for you to continue running your business, even if a reserve is placed on your account. Longer term, we will maintain flexible payout options and iterate on the structure of the program and refine the criteria and process we use to identify when and where reserves are most appropriate. We are also committed to being more transparent along the way, and we value your feedback as we work to build the best marketplace for all of our users. He concludes, to that I would say it took podcasts like this one and articles in the BBC and other places for them to recognize that being transparent with their sellers was probably a good idea. (laughs) Uh, So I'm going to take all of this with a bit of a grain of salt. Uh, This posted last Tuesday. As I record this, it is Sunday night and there has been no additional updates from Etsy about whether and when any of this is going to be implemented. So you can let me know if, again, if you've been caught up in this Has your money been released? Have you been contacted by Etsy about how you can get your money released or any of the things they talk about in this particular article? So good on them, I guess, for recognizing that they were going to have to make a change. Again, it's frustrating that it took that level of attention being brought to the issue that sellers reaching out to Etsy themselves And essentially being stonewalled was not enough for them to act on this. So from that aspect, uh, shame on Etsy. Continuing on with Etsy, uh, they are going to make some updates. We talked about this, I think, a couple of weeks ago uh, to the size and ratio for listing images. Uh, Murphy Gardens, who's one of the community managers over there, posted, Hi, everyone. Uh, We wanted to let you know that we recently ran an experiment with buyers to test different listing image sizes and ratios to see which ones performed best. Experiments like these help us better understand buyer behavior so we can pass this information along to you and help you make more sales. Good news, we've learned that buyers are more likely to make a purchase when a shop displays square photos. (laughs) Uh, I... I guess I can't argue with I don't have access to any of the data. I don't I don't know why that would be the case, but they say their test proved that that was indeed what was going on. So they're going to switch beginning in early August. Listing images in your shop home will display in a square format, matching the photo format across other areas of the site, like market pages. They note that no immediate action is required. However, you may want to start taking photos and uploading those images in this format or with this format in mind, you can read on to learn how to optimize your photos. So 
I take square photos. I've always taken square photos, except for some limited windows of time where the square photo functionality in eBay (laughs) was not actually working. And those photos are rectangular, but probably 95% of my photos I've always taken in a one-by-one square ratio photo. So this is not going to affect me at all. If you've been using some other format, some other dimensions in your photographs, Etsy is going to be introducing a new and additional crop to those photos as they display them on your homepage. So do be aware of that. They're recommending, of course, that you use photo sizes and shapes that best fit with what they're trying to accomplish. And that is square photos going forward. There was a lot of complaints when Etsy was running this test from sellers about having to reconfigure images there Etsy is saying for their part you will not have to do anything to your existing photos that their crop will automatically take care of it I would imagine however that there will be some things that get either cut off in the crop or that the quality of the image will be altered a little bit so you'll want to keep an eye on your existing listings to make sure if they had a different photo format that when this new one goes into place they still look okay Uh, This article over on uh, eSeller365, Etsy earnings report shows all-time high active buyers in the second quarter 2023. Etsy is the operator of a popular online marketplace connecting creative buyers and sellers worldwide, and they have reported their second quarter results for the period ending June 30th. During the second quarter, Etsy's active buyers reached a record high, demonstrating the strong appeal of the brand and its ability to provide opportunities for sellers. This growth in buyers contributed to a return to year-over-year gross merchandise sales growth in May and June. Note that they don't say for the second quarter, just May and June. With the positive trend continuing into the beginning of the third quarter, according to Josh Silverman, who is the CEO of Etsy. He went on to say, We believe we can unlock significant growth opportunities by making Etsy a more organized, curated, and reliable place to shop. And we are aligning our investments and efforts with initiatives that move us toward this vision. Our teams are working with speed and agility to execute on our ambitious roadmap and continue serving our global community, he added. That just sounds like corporate speak gobbledygook to me, but uh, whatever. (laughs) Uh, Some of the key highlights, uh, consolidated gross merchandise sales amounted to $3 billion, experiencing a slight decline for the quarter of 0.6% year over year. Uh, the gross merchandise sales for the Etsy marketplace totaled $2.6 billion, showing a decrease of 0.7% year over year. The number of active, active buyers, however, did increase 3%, which is pretty healthy, reaching an all-time high of $91 million. Etsy gained 6 million new buyers, reactivated 21% more buyers compared to the prior year, and retained active buyers at rates higher than pre-pandemic levels on a trailing 12-month basis. International gross merchandise sales for the Etsy marketplace accounted for 47% of overall sales, experiencing a 5% year-over-year increase as positive growth resumed during the second quarter. So a big, big chunk of Etsy's sales, gross merchandise sales volume, is actually international business, which is another reason why this deal with the payment reserves, particularly in the UK, and particularly drawing attention internationally in the press, was a big deal that they needed to get their arms around and make some statements on pretty quickly because they have a significant stake in business overseas. As of the end of the second quarter, Etsy had 1.2 
billion dollars in cash and cash equivalents and short and long-term investments. And as is usually the case with companies that are flush with cash and are doing reasonably well, they also repurchased approximately $39 million worth or 411,421 shares of their common stock during the quarter as part of its stock repurchase program on June 14th. Etsy's board of directors authorized a new $1 billion stock repurchase program. So they are going to be buying back a ton of their stock over the next probably three months or so. So if you're a shareholder in Etsy, (laughs) it might be a good time to think about selling because they're going to be trying to buy back a bunch of stock. So, But pretty good results for Etsy. It sounds like as things moved into the summer, their business picked up. That was not what I saw in my business on Etsy. I've been flat maybe to slightly down over there over the summer. Uh, But congratulations to them for posting a pretty, pretty handy second quarter result. Amazon also posted their results and they grew their sales by 11% in the second quarter. So that is a big, big win for Amazon. Uh, They announced that last Thursday, the North American segment sales increased 11% year over year to $82.5 billion. That is just massive. Just to put that in context, uh, let me see if I can go back here and see what this Etsy number was again. What was Etsy's sales, or did it even say? 2.6 billion. So versus (laughs) 82.5. Just to give an idea, uh, a, a sense of the difference in scale between these two. Now, obviously, Etsy is not directly trying to compete with Amazon, but the fact that they do that much less business should allow them to be a little more agile to fix problems that they come across, uh, which they do not seem to be able to do. But let me let me get off the soapbox and just continue on with the news. <laughs> uh, the North American segment over at Amazon posted operating income of $3.2 billion compared to last year, an actual loss of $0.6 billion. International sales, again, uh, much like Etsy, increased 10% year-over-year to $29.7 billion. The international segment operating loss was $0.9 billion. Compared with last year, it was $1.8 billion. So they continue to lose money in their overseas operations, which I find interesting. Uh, For what it's worth, if you're interested in that sort of thing, the Amazon Web Services segment Sales increased 12% as well to $22.2 billion. Operating income over there was $7.7 billion. Just to give you, again, a glimpse at how much more profitable that is than actually selling stuff, uh, that is a huge, huge win for them. They saw worldwide paid units overall grow by 9% in the second quarter, and third-party sellers still continue to account for 60% of their worldwide paid units. So third-party sellers like you and I, my friends, are a big, big part of Amazon's continued success and growth. They noted they have returned to double-digit growth after expansion was mired in the single digits for five of the past six quarters. So they were pretty stoked about their results over there. I did read on another article somewhere earlier this week that I'm trying to remember if the exact number, but I believe it is the first time that Etsy or, or rather Amazon actual merchandise sales accounted for less than 40% of their total business. So they're making more of their money in things like web services and that sort of thing than they're actually making selling stuff today, which I found really interesting as well. Speaking of third-party sellers, uh, Amazon is going to be adding 
more required product attributes for new listings. If you're an eBay seller, those are the dreaded item specifics that we talk about all the time. And they're not just adding a few. Amazon is adding 274 product attributes for 200 product types that will be required for new listings as of August 16th. This was announced on August the 4th. They said providing attribute information can help increase sales by making it easier for customers to search for product information that improves their purchase decisions. We periodically review listing requirements for the most popular product types to ensure listings contain relevant attribute information that will help customers make a buying decision. All new listings for the affected product types will require valid attribute values or the product will not be added to the catalog. They say this attribute information is not required for active listings. Sellers are not convinced about that. Uh, One seller commented on the announcement post, whenever this happens, you can be sure a lot of items will become search suppressed. They say it's for new items, but once you edit and update an old listing, the validation of fields will occur. So be aware that if you are a seller on Amazon, at least historically, when they roll out these changes, if you update or edit an existing listing, Amazon apparently treats that like it is a new listing and any new requirements that are attached to it then become valid. So if you're going to be editing listings, uh, try to get them done by the 16th (laughs) so you don't have to go in and add all these other attributes. Uh, I assume there is probably a list somewhere, although uh, one seller did note uh, they would like a list of the upcoming changes. Waiting until a listing is suppressed is absolutely ridiculous. So I assume at some point they will publish a list of all the product categories and the specific attributes that need to be updated. But as of this writing uh, over on e-commerce bytes, that was actually not available. So lots going on over at Amazon, uh, lots going on particularly over at Etsy this week, but that was about it. But speaking of sales, I don't know what you can let me know in the comments if you're watching on YouTube. What kind of week did you have last week? But man, the floodgates just opened wide up here last week uh, from midday Tuesday to midday Wednesday in that like 24 to 26 hour period uh, from Tuesday into Wednesday. I did about 75 percent of what I normally do in a week. Uh, It was just absolutely insane. International orders in particular have really picked back up for me. So whatever eBay is working on to kind of tweak the their new international shipping program seems to finally be starting to generate a little bit more business. I did have the, the video I did a couple of months ago about whether that program was already broken is still getting a lot of views and a lot of comments. People are still having a hard time getting their listings to show internationally. So the program is still not working right but at least in my case, it seems to be working better. By the end of the week, uh, my sales were really close to double what I do in a normal week. So knock on wood, I wish I knew why that was the case. I'd bottle it and do it every week, uh, but I don't really have any clue why they were so good. But speaking of that, uh, let's take a look at some of the stuff that did sell last week. Uh, 
as usual, it's going to be a really book heavy episode, but there, there's at least one thing coming up that is not actually a book. So this first one, uh, I just picked this up at an estate sale for $2 last week. The Murderers Among Us, the Simon Wiesenthal memoirs from 1967. This was a hardcover with its dust jacket, uh, in really, really nice shape. I had it listed for $21.99 or best offer, and I got an offer of $21. <laughs> Uh, I appreciate that. I don't know why you wouldn't be a little bit more aggressive. Um, I probably would have done a couple of bucks off, but a $21 offer on a book I own for two bucks. I went ahead and took that and shipped it on its way. This was an interesting old book from a big lot, uh, the big 15,000 lot, as a matter of fact. So my cost of goods on this is about three and a half or four cents. Some Things Abroad by Alexander McKenzie. This book is from 18. 18- 87. It's a hardcover. It was published by the D. Lothrop Company. It was in pretty bad shape. The cover had significant damage, particularly along the spine. The pages had a lot of tanning and foxing, but it's a, again, it's from 1887. It's really <laughs> a really old book and really unusual. It was published, I believe, in the UK. And this actually sold through the international shipping program. I had it listed for $24.99 or best offer. I received an offer again of $21 and sent it on its way. This was kind of a cool book. Uh, Basics of Digital Computers, Volumes 1 through 3 by John S. Murphy from 1958. So this is a, for computers, that is the literal kind of beginning of the computer age. This was three different volumes of kind of a, I guess they were probably like a paperback technical journal about digital computers of that era. This was a hardcover bound edition of all three of those volumes, again, from 1958. This I picked up at an estate sale for $2. It sold for $23.99 plus media mail shipping. For sale for the week over on Etsy, uh, Again, uh, mechanical style, mechanical engineering manuals, I do really, really well with. Surprisingly enough, they even do pretty well over on Etsy. This is Die Casting Machines, Dies Alloys by Charles Erb. It was a first edition from 1936, published by a company called The Industrial Press. I picked up a whole bunch of their books at an estate sale for a dollar a piece. Uh, this one over on Etsy went for $24.99 plus Media mail shipping. Uh, two really old almanacs. Individually, they were not really worth a whole ton of money, but this, I had one buyer that bought two of them. Uh, paper almanacs, one from 1914 and one from 1926. The Handy Almanac Encyclopedia and Atlas from 1914, published by the Toledo Blade. And the Dayton Herald Almanac and Yearbook from 1926. If I'm not mistaken, I had these listed for like $14.99 and $15.99. I had a, a buyer reach out and make offers of $13 a piece on them. So $26 for these two books that I own for about $0.05 cents a piece from a big lot. I went ahead and did that deal. Back over to Etsy, the Dictionary of the Bible, Volume 1, A Through Feasts by James Hastings. It was a Scribner's hardcover from 1905. This was something I picked up at an estate sale for $2 uh, fairly recently. Uh, this sold for $27.99. And again, media mail shipping. This is a book I have had actually for quite a while. I picked up a lot of uh, 
Rudyard Kipling books. It was a New World edition, the works of Rudyard Kipling. I, it was not a complete set. It was only four or five books, but they were fairly unusual. This was Puck of Pook's Hill, Rewards and Fairies. Uh, I had it listed for thirty four ninety nine plus media mail shipping. It got a watcher. I sent out my standard 15% off offer and sold it for $29.74 plus shipping. Uh, the, the buyer has already left feedback on this one. He got it and said it was in fantastic condition and he was very, very pleased. So that always makes me feel good. <laughs> Speaking of things that don't always make me feel good. So I was down here with one of my boys the other day and he was asking about the YouTube channel. This is a total aside, but it, it's a funny story. And I told him, yeah, I was still doing my videos and he asked what the channel was and I showed it to him and he pulled it up on his phone and he said, oh, I'm going to subscribe to your channel. And he subscribed and he started to watch last week's video and he got about 10 seconds into the video and he stopped it and he says, oh, that's enough of that video. <laughs> uh, I, I understand that 10 year old boys are not necessarily my target audience, but that stung a little bit. <laughs> Anyway, moving on. Uh, this is a book I picked up at an estate sale last week for one whole dollar. Monday Night by Kay Boyle. This was from the New Classics series published by James Laughlin and New Directions. It was a hardcover with its dust jacket. If I'm not mistaken, I, at the time I posted this listing, had the only one like this from this particular series. There were other books same title, same author, but from a different series, a different publisher, or missing their their hard their their dust jacket rather. So this was a relatively unusual piece. I aimed a little bit high. I had it listed for thirty four ninety nine. I received an offer of thirty dollars, which I went ahead and accepted. So I normally don't go into like antique malls or antique stores, but there was one that came up on my estate sale list last week that they were having some kind of closeout sale. So I went and checked the place out. And sure enough, most of the stuff was way, way overpriced for a reseller. It was probably competitively priced for a regular consumer, but for somebody like me that wanted to flip it, there wasn't a whole bunch there that I could work with. But I did find one tub full of these vintage like 1960s era uh, panorama color slide books. So it's a, it was a, they're books about museums or countries, and they had these little kind of slides of color photographs of the stuff. And then there was a narrated recording on like a seven inch record. Some of them were done by Walter Cronkite and uh, various other kind of celebrities of that day. Vincent Price had done a couple of them. So really random stuff. And it had all those books. There was probably 14 or 15 of those books in there and the projector to actually do the slides. So initially, I just wanted the box of books, but there wasn't a price on it. So I, I went up to the guy and I said, you know, hey, what are we doing with this box of books back here? And we went back and he said, oh, it also comes with this projector. The whole thing, you can have the whole tub, all the books and the projector for $39. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to take a look at the projector pricing just to make sure, and I, I will probably do that. So I did end up buying all those. The books I currently have listed for, I think, $11.99 a piece. The projector I sold already for $32.99. Uh, I had a customer that reached out that sent me a picture of one of the books that he has, and he says, I just bought this book from someone else. I didn't see it from you. But I can't find a projector anywhere. Do you know what it looks like? 
or where I could find one. And I was like, as a matter of fact, <laughs> I actually have one listed right now that you could buy. And I sent him a link to the listing and he bought it within like five minutes. So uh, not huge money, but uh, I, you know, I, if I sell one of those books, I'm going to be in the clear on this deal. So I, I recorded this item on my books for $10 for accounting purposes as a small electronics item. So it was the Vintage Panorama Color Slide Projector made by Cowan. It was the Model 101. I did test it. It was working. I actually put a photo up of a a slide being projected onto a whiteboard so that they could see that it lit up and it worked and you could focus it and all that stuff. Sold for $32.99 plus priority mail shipping. That was a really long story. (laughs) Uh, another book that I picked up for $2 at an estate sale fairly recently, Sermons on Several Occasions in Two Volumes. This is just volume one, unfortunately. It was by the Reverend John Wesley from 1827. So this was a week of lots of really old books getting out of here. Uh, leather bound in reasonably good condition on the outside. Lots of tanning and foxing of the pages, as you would expect, probably for a book of She's nearly 200 years old, (laughs) which just blows me away. Uh, Didn't appear to have any pages missing. There was not really much significant damage to any of the pages other than the discoloration. So I listed it for $34.99 or best offer and sold it for full price, $34.99. You may recall not too long ago, I posted one of these and said every time I find them, I always buy them. Uh, The Expositor's Study Bible, the giant print edition, King James Version from 2006, fourth printing from the Jimmy Swaggart Ministries. I was at an estate sale, and there was virtually nothing there. Uh, I walked around, and it was just really, literally old junk. Uh, Couldn't really find anything. And as I'm getting ready to walk out, I see a really small pile of books over in the corner with a sign that says, Books, 50 cents each, and at the bottom of the pile is this Bible, which I know sells regularly for anywhere from $30 to $50. This one wasn't in quite as good a shape as the one I had last week, uh, but I did list it for $38.99 or best offer and sold it for full price. So from $0.50 to $38.99, I saw a lot of these, the same version, priced right now on eBay as low as $24.99. Most of them only had one picture, and not much of a description over what kind of condition the books were in. I I didn't try to go low on this. I went high. I know this book is worth $30 to $40, so I priced it at $38.99. And despite the fact that there are probably eight or nine of these currently available for anywhere from $10 to $15 less than I was listing mine for, I didn't even get an offer on this. I sold it for full price. So I guess the moral of the story is, Know what an item is actually worth, not necessarily what they're listed for, and prepare a good listing with a lot of good photos and a good description, and you can still command a premium price. Like I said, there were several of these for $23, $24, $25, even with free shipping, which makes them even less because this is about $9 to ship. It's a big, big, heavy book. But if you do the little bit of extra work and you take the photos, I know I harp on that all the time on this show, but if you do a good listing, you can still command premium prices for some of these items. Uh, I was at an estate sale. This was last week, so 10 days ago or so probably, and there were 
it was I was in heaven. There were literally books in every single room of this house. I spent three and a half hours in this house. Uh, ultimately bought a little, gosh, I don't know, a hundred and some books. I spent well over $200 at this sale. But there were a lot of really interesting historical books about uh, radio, television, and film from the 1920s through kind of the 1950s. And they all had really, really good comps on them. The books there were all essentially selling for $2 a piece. Uh, I started listing these almost immediately and almost immediately got offers on the first two. The first one here, The Great Radio Soap Operas by Jim Cox. This was an illustrated hardcover from 1999 published by McFarland and Company. The other book also from McFarland and Company, The Horror Spoofs of Abbott and Costello by Jeffrey Miller. I got two offers on these, um, totaled $42.48 from a total cost of goods sold of 4 bucks. So these don't appear to be real common in many cases. As I'm going through and listing these, I'm finding I have the only one or one of just a couple that are available for sale. But if you ever happen to stumble on these by, uh, again, McFarland and Company hardcovers, they're pretty good buys. Most of them I've listed anywhere from $20 to $45. So kind of be on the lookout for those if you're into the book thing. Here's an old, old camera that I picked up for five bucks at an estate sale. She had it listed for 15 and I'm like, we don't even know if it works. I, there's no way to test it. There's, I can't really do much with it. I'd give you $5 for it, but other than that, I'm going to leave it here. And she's like, you know what? Fine, $5, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, it's a Bolex Pallard B8 8mm vintage movie camera with a, it's a YVAR, I think it's called, a 1 to 1.9 F13 millimeter lens. I noted in the description and in the title that it was untested, sold as is, parts only, sold full price through the international shipping program for $49.99 plus shipping. The guy paid a ton for shipping, for international shipping. So uh, if I could find another one for five bucks, I'd probably buy it. I've had this for a little while, but that's a pretty nice flip from five bucks to $49.99. Uh, the estate sale I just mentioned a little bit ago with all the uh, entertainment books for $2. Here's another book there. I went into the basement, and of course, as I said, there were books in literally every room of the house, and there was a whole shelf full of interesting old vintage mystery books from the 1920s and 30s. Uh, there were a couple by this author, Jeffrey Holmes. It's uh, G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y, Holmes, H-O-M-E-S, not Holmes. If you find any of his stuff, grab it. Uh, it looked like pretty much everything I looked up from him is really difficult to find and worth anywhere from $30 on up. This was from 1936 from the Morrow Mystery Collection, The Doctor Died at Dusk. It's part of the Robin Bishop Detective Series. I'd never heard of him. I'd never heard of this writer, none of this stuff. But the, his books are super valuable. I had this listed for seventy two ninety nine. It got a watcher almost immediately. I'm like, I got two bucks in it. If I can flip this thing real quick for 60 odd dollars, I'm going to do it. So I sent my 15% off offer and sold it right away for $62.04. So be on the lookout for this Jeffrey Holmes fella, a mystery and detective writer from the 20s and 30s. And now your flip of the week. 
This is a the type of buy I really don't make all that often. So this is a a piece of model railroading equipment. It's a it's a HO scale steam engine. It was produced by the Bachman Company as part of their Spectrum series. It's the number eight one nine zero eight WM Ritter. It's called an eighty ton three truck Shea. This thing was in immaculate condition in its box with its foam. The accessories uh, were not even opened. Frankly, the item looked like it had never been out of the package. The only reason I knew that it was is they typically come in a plastic wrap, and this was just in the in the foam padding, but essentially practically new in box. Unfortunately, I didn't have any way to test it. Um, there was no way to test it at the sale, and I don't have any way to test it here at home. They had it listed. They had it at the sale for $45. But when I looked it up, comps, sold comps were anywhere from 100 to nearly $250 on this thing. Normally, like I said, I don't spend $45 on one item very often. If I'm going to spend $45, I can get 20, sometimes 40 or maybe even 50 or 60 books or more for that price that I can turn into, man, four, five, six, eight hundred dollars in sales, and I prefer to spend my money that way and buy more stuff at smaller individual prices and just flip more stuff and ultimately make a little more money. That's kind of my business model. But I thought I would take a chance on this because it looked like sell-through rate was really good on these. So I went ahead and took it. I paid $45 for this thing. I listed it at an auction for a week. It got, uh, at one point, it had 35 watchers. Ultimately, it got six bids and sold for $175 plus shipping. I will take that quick flip. Essentially tripled my money or real close to it. Um, Very, very pleased with how this works. Again, a little story about my boy. He was looking at my eBay numbers. I had it up on the screen and we were talking. He's like, man, you made that much money. And I'm like, no, actually not really. Like, let's just take a look at this item right here. And I said, I, according to eBay, I made $189.80 some cents on it. And that's the number that he's looking at. And I said, but I paid $45 for it. So you got to take that out. And then I showed him eBay's fees. And his his response was like a lot of resellers. Why do they get fees for that? <laughs> uh, and I had to explain to him, hey, that's eBay's business model. That's how they make their money. I list stuff, you list stuff there, and they charge a percentage to, to show the stuff to the world on our behalf, and they make their money when we sell something. It's all fair. I'm all good with it. It's not a problem. But by the time you take out the fees and the shipping and the supplies and all the rest of it, I still made about $106 on this thing. But Again, the point of that story is people don't necessarily always understand the costs that are involved with running this sort of business. And a lot of resellers, a lot of reselling content online, be it podcasts or YouTube videos, don't always do a real good job of explaining that. It's all about kind of the flashy sales number in the case of this. That's pretty cool, $175. But if I had paid $100 for it, it's still a nice flip, but it's not fantastic you don't know what the costs are. You don't know what the shipping is. You don't know what the fees are and all that. So I guess my the point is to just be aware that sometimes the flashy things that you see, the shiny big numbers are not necessarily all they're cracked up to be. And if the, if the person presenting the information is not being transparent about 
their cost structure. Take all of it with a grain of salt. I've said on this channel numerous times, be very careful where you take your advice from because not all sellers who are doing content on YouTube a, have your best interest at heart, and B, they're not all super transparent. So I, I, again, for my part, I try to be here and share with you things that I think you can sell that you can make some money on and share what maybe is a different business model from some of the others with lots of kind of lower dollar items that I just don't have very much money in. So, hey, if you got something useful out of this or just thought it was entertaining and you're watching on YouTube, as always, do me a favor and hit that like button. Uh, if you're not currently a subscriber to the channel or a follower of the podcast, please consider doing that. And if you would, please do me a favor and share this with anybody that you know that might find some value in it or in the channel. I would appreciate it. With that all being said, it's time to sell. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to the Galaxy CD's Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you again next time.